Before we dive into today's chat, a gentle reminder, my friends. What you hear might not align exactly with your stroke journey. We're all stars with our unique experiences. And if we chat about any supplements, promise me you'll have a heart-to-heart with your doctor first before trying anything new. Safety first. This was the first time I ever had to stand up. And I remember this nurse came in and more or less dragged me out of bed. It was the most surreal thing. And I kind of almost hope I don't remember this properly. She almost like picked me up out of bed and tried to make me stand next to the bed. And I more or less fell. Hello and a warm welcome to you. This is the Young Stroke Survivors podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andrew Stops, and I wear the proud badge of a young stroke survivor. Today on the show, our special guest is a survivor, a fighter, and a true inspiration. Jamie Summers shares his remarkable journey and lays bare the struggles and triumphs he experienced during and post his stroke. With an outlook that's infused as much with strength as it is with positivity, Jamie offers us a close look at his journey from surviving a stroke at the age of 39 to getting back on his feet and serving a larger purpose. This isn't just a story, it's a beacon of hope. So grab a cuppa, get comfortable, and let's immerse ourselves in Jamie's extraordinary tale of strength, survival, and making a difference. I was a just turned 39 year old. Literally my stroke was the 14th of December, 2019. So just a few days after my 39th birthday, the day of my stroke, well, in the sort of build-up to my stroke, I had uh, had a bit of a, a problem with my my shoulder and my neck. It, like it was kind of like a muscular type of. I'm not too sure. I, I'd I'd been to an osteo uh, about twelve minutes prior, and he did all sorts of adjustments and worked magic and actually kind of released it. And then a very similar sort of pain, very similar thing came back. And so I actually phoned the same company that the same people at the, the osteopath that I, I went to maybe 12 months earlier to see if I could get an appointment. And they said, oh, no, he's not available, but but we've got a chiropractor available on Saturday morning that will be able to, to help you. So this was Saturday the 14th of December 2019, and I think I had an appointment at 10 a.m., that morning with a chiropractor, I'd, I'd never, yeah, that was my first ever time visiting a chiropractor. I'd, I'd never visited one before. And yes, yeah, so I went into the chiropractor. It was just a young, actually, remember a young lady, heavily pregnant at the time, and told her about, you know, the the pain and told her about my visit to the the osteopath maybe 12 months earlier and how that kind of released the pain. and. And anyway, so she then proceeded to kind of work on me at one point and got me laid down on a bed. And I just remember she made an adjustment to my neck. Like she almost cracked my neck or did so. She was doing all sorts of adjustments to my back and and she made an adjustment to my neck. And I remember her saying, I don't know if I sort of went ow or something. And, and she was like, oh, are you okay? And I, at the time, I was like, well, no. And I kind of sat her. And I said, no, I don't feel very good. I I need a glass of water or something. And I think she went off and got me a glass of water. And I, I kind of just remember like this warm fuzziness sort of coming over the, the left side of my head and, and a really, really distinct sort of pain in my neck. 
Wow. I've never heard that description of the warm fuzziness. Yeah, I just remember, I don't know, I remember just this like warm coming over and yeah, coming over the left side of my body. And anyway, so just, I remember having the glass of water and then sort of saying, oh, yeah, look, I don't feel very good. Let's leave it here. I want to go. And I went out and I remember having to pay at the reception when I was leaving. And then I had to walk across the car park to my car and get in my car. And, and luckily, I was only sort of a couple of kilometers just straight straight down the road and turn right and you're basically into my my road so and yeah and i went home and opened the front door and walked in and my wife was there with archie and she said oh, how did it go Are you okay and i said yeah uh, i don't know why i said this because I, I don't think the chiropractor told me to go home and lie down but anyway I said to her, oh, they told me i've got to come home and lie down so i didn't tell her about the warm fuzziness i didn't tell her what happened i just said i just need to go and lie down and i thought I I just lying down or help. And so I went upstairs and lay down on the the bed. And then I remember not much later, my wife came in and she said to me, I'm going out Christmas shopping. Uh, You know, you need to get up and look after Archie or whatever it was. And and then I I think I spoke back to her or did something. And I kind of remember her being like, you okay? You don't don't seem right. And I was like, I'm fine. And just, and then at time frames of this, I might say a few minutes, it might have been a few seconds or whatever, but she came back in on the phone and she was talking to someone on the phone and she started saying to me, can you stick your tongue out or put both your hands in the air or do something? And she was talking to someone on the phone and, and saying, yeah. And then she's she's mailing to me, don't worry, there's an ambulance coming. I'm saying, I'm fine. I'm You're probably fine. thinking, an ambulance? Yeah. Where, yeah. where did that come uh, from? I'm completely fine. I'm just laying in my bed. And then I kind of sat up on the side of the bed. I said, I said to Sarah, look, she said, no, you need, you need to go to hospital. And I said, don't get an ambulance. I'll phone John and say, he'll take me to the doctors. It's fine. So I phoned my mate up and I said, oh, Sarah's worried there's something wrong with me. I think she even said to me at the time, look, you could be having a stroke. And I said, I'll phone John. And I phoned John and said, look, Sarah's, she's phoned an ambulance for me and I've told her not to. And, I just remember then, like John saying, oh, I'll, "I'll come around. It's fine." And and I I remember then getting up, and we lived in a two story house, and somehow I got myself down the stairs. But I remember not feeling right, and then just kind of getting to the point of the bottom of the stairs, where I then we had one of those corner sofas, and I sort of just perched myself on the corner of it as my wife was opening the door, and two paramedics were walking through the door. And I remember there was a male and a female, and the male was stood talking to me and talking to my wife, who was stood to the side holding Archie, and the female had all this equipment out doing stuff, and they were talking away. And then I just did this most significant thing I remember is looking at the female who was doing my blood pressure. I can't remember, but she was doing something, and I remember her looking and making eye contact with the guy, and the guy saying, right, we're going to go for a little ride in an ambulance now and they were having the discussion which one's the best hospital to go to and they said oh let's go to Waitakere that's the best place to get into now and so up until then had you been displaying any of the classic stroke signs like the the facial weakness the the arm weakness I think I think so I think that's what my wife said when when she came in and woke me up she was like my face just looked abnormal I only opened one of my eyes and then my mouth was drooped and and were you aware 
No, uh, only I think I think she told me oh they think you're having a stroke and I think she phoned like Healthline or yeah. something like that. She didn't phone an ambulance. I think she phoned Healthline. Who then I think they called the ambulance and, and I was actually quite lucky because. The ambulance were actually already more or less driving down the main road past my house to go to someone else that had broken their leg, but then they prioritised me over that person and came straight to me. So they were there within minutes, I think. Wow. Then it took me to hospital, and I remember getting into hospital, and then at some point, and I don't really remember too much about what went on. I can't remember if I was on a ward or I was there, somewhere anyway. It was just like a, a small room and... I sort of remember them waking up and my mate being sat with me and then, yeah, had a bit of a conversation with him. And and I don't remember distinctly then, like, especially the eyesight or the, the slurring and stuff. I don't really remember. I remember kind of having a bit of a conversation and falling back asleep again and then waking up a bit later, which seemed this was hours and hours. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I can't really remember that. But waking up and going, like, I'm not, I don't feel very well. And so John went and got the nurse again and they did some tests and basically it was kind of all on. And then they moved me to the recess area and yeah, there was heaps of doctors and things. And I think seemingly I found out after then I was bleeding basically. So the, the, oh, wow. the, the ruptured the artery that was, was the feeding my, my cerebellum. So the lower left side of my brain and, yeah, and I don't think they did too much. People always say, did they have to do something to stop it? I've never actually asked them the question, and I don't think they did, but I I know since a neurologist told me and is explaining it to me that it's completely severed in two, So and it's it's sealed at both ends now, so now I don't actually have that kind of artery anymore. Right. Yeah, and that was about it. Then know that my wife turned up and John left, my wife was there for a bit, and then I think my father-in-law turned up at the hospital. And that, yeah, and that that really then is about as much as I can remember, other than waking up on a ward. I think it was the next day. I woke up on a ward. I think my wife was there. She. At some point, phoned my dad. I remember because my dad, my parents are both still in the UK. She phoned my dad and he said, I'm going to jump on a plane and come over. And then, yeah, I, as I say, I remember a nurse coming and putting an eye patch on me. And, and through that, for about the first, I think my dad turned up after about three or four days, where in that period of time, I hadn't got out of bed, I hadn't moved, I hadn't tried to walk, I hadn't done anything. I remember I was still there. The, I was still a choking risk, so I think I was on a drip still. Yep. I don't know if you remember this, they were making you blow into something so you cough or something, if I remember correctly, if that's what they were trying to do. And it was until they were comfortable I could cough so I wouldn't choke, so they were, yeah, they'd let me eat again. And I think that was still up until when my dad was there, that kind of, came back and then they took me off the drip and I started eating again. I remember having a patch over my eye because whenever I had both eyes open, I was just, it was just so, it was making me feel quite dizzy and quite, and the only way I'd resolve that was by closing my left eye. So in the end, yeah, we put a patch over my eye 
And yeah. So was it related to all that neck pain and shoulder pain you had? Well, if you ask ACC and look at the investigation that was done and then no. <laughs> so, and I've actually always been very reluctant to ever say that for a long time uh, because I was always kind of, I never really knew what went on. And, and so ACC did obviously a big, or what they said was a big investigation. And if you, I mean, if you read the report written by the chiro- chiropractor, it quite literally, the chiropractor states that I turned up to the appointment as someone presenting signs of having a stroke at the time, but yet they carried on. And so they, they think it was something, something that had happened prior to that. So, but I, as I say, when I speak to my neurologist about it, he says, well, it would need to be some quite significant, you know, impact to your head or trauma or something. Like um, an adjustment. Like an adjustment to the neck. Yeah. But no, so the chiropractors de- denied all responsibility and ACC took their side in it. But, but by which time I- I'm now talking, you know, six or 12 months post stroke where I'd actually gone on to make a f- fairly decent recovery. I was back at work right now and I thought, what am I actually fighting for here? You know, nothing. It was just causing me more stress when they were trying to tell me to get the stress out of my life. So, yeah, yeah. so I never did fight it. But, yeah, but I remember, you know, the hospital was a – it was an interesting experience. It was a bit weird. On a ward with – I was the youngest by probably my age again on the ward. Yeah. Quite a, yeah, that's quite surreal and unusual. And a Yeah, bit, I had the same thing. Yeah. You know, lots of things going on in the middle of the night. And it just – the whole situation very confusing. I actually remember – one night, I, I remember, so this is a bit of a detailed story here, but, you know, needing the toilet in the middle of the night, pressing the call button, I came along, gave me a box, and I I literally think I, I fell asleep mid, mid going to the toilet, or I think I finished going to the toilet, and maybe, like, the bottle was on my bed, and I fell asleep, and the next thing you know, I kind of woke up soaking wet. And so the bottle had spilt out anyway, and, and the nurse came. And I remember they called someone else in, and and it was really weird. It was almost like these people didn't realise. And they're like, this was the first time I ever had to stand up. And I remember this nurse came in and more or less dragged me out of bed. It was the most surreal thing. And I kind of almost hope I don't remember this properly. Too much like picked me up out of bed and tried to make me stand next to the bed. And I more or less fell and I remember her saying to me, what's wrong with you? Just stand there. And I said, I can't. I oh can't. God. Yeah. And I, then they put me down and I sat in this chair whilst they remade the bed. And then she more or less threw me back into the bed again. And I just remember I lay there then all night just thinking, there's something seriously wrong with me. And I think that was the point when it got me so Googling, you know, Dr. Google. And that's the worst thing anyone can ever do, isn't it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> All that is is doom and gloom, you know. You're going to be, yeah, never walk again, never. Yeah. No, we were, it's talking and never walking again. I'll, I'll also never forget that one of the ward doctors coming to see me in one of the early days and we saying to him, well, doctor, you know, we'd, we're supposed to go on holiday in a few weeks' time. And he said to me, you, you can cancel that. He said, right now, I can't guarantee you if you'll ever walk or see again so i wouldn't wouldn't worry too much about your holiday so that the whole kind of experience is a bit surreal to be honest yeah uh, yeah doctors tend to be very not not very positive not very encouraging they try to hedge their bets and yeah. and try not to give you too much how i think because i 
I, you know, had the same sort of experience with them saying to me, you know, not to expect much recovery. And look at you. Yeah. Yeah. And now, yeah. Yeah. So, and and to be honest, I actually was really, something I can say is that the physiotherapist and the occupational therapist that worked with me at Waitakere Hospital and haven't got a clue who they are today, unfortunately, but the, the stuff they did in the gym there was absolutely phenomenal. And, and you know, you talk about things like sort of learning to walk again. You know, I watch a couple of videos that my mum took while she was there, came into the gym with me, and you just, you know, to realise that you you actually went through all of that is yeah. pretty, it's pretty phenomenal. I remember, you know, picking up a glass of water, and I'm using my right hand now, but I remember them asking me to have a sip of water using my left hand for the first time and me being about my centre of balance or whatever, which, you know, and I more or less tipped the glass of water down myself. Yeah. <laughs> so was, was it your right hemisphere, left hemisphere, or both hemispheres? Left. left right. Left. Yeah. Yeah. So today, right now, I still definitely have a different sensation through the left side of my face. I suffer a lot with headaches. Um, I have a, a very unusual sensation through my left hand and arm. You know, it's been checked and tested a number of times. Not necessarily a weakness. It just is. A, it's just a different sensation. And the same with my with my left leg. You know, it tends to to sleep a lot more when I do go to bed at night. I get a bit of a throbbing in my hip. Um, do you find that your your stroke affected side? gets colder or feels colder than your non-affected side yeah i think yeah it does get a bit because mm. i've i've noticed that since the stroke and my right side definitely feels the cold more than the left side does but also it feels like colder when you touch it than my right than my left side i think there's definitely different sensations there's just there's there's a little reminder every single day that it happened to you i think it'll never it'll never let you forget that but as i say very lucky i'm i'm that i've kind of gone beyond that point in life where i you know i I was a builder on the tools and i've moved on from that into an office job in probably five years prior to my stroke so if i'd have relied on still being a builder and, and getting up every morning and going out to a construction site and using my hands and it, yeah, it would have been a very different story. I, well, I actually don't know if that was my livelihood now, then I, even today I probably wouldn't be confident or comfortable doing a lot of things that you have to do as a builder, you know. Um, yeah. I'm just, yeah, very cautious of heavy lifting or anything like that. Very cautious of the potential of being hit in the back of the neck. Did it take you before you were pretty much fully recovered or or to where you are now? To where I am now, I think, look, I seem to remember at some point in February going back to work, something like 16 hours a week or something. So really Um, only two months after the stroke. Very lucky. Yeah. And then that kind of progressively over a period of months. I can't remember how long I couldn't drive for. Was it six months? I think I, was, I couldn't, they wouldn't let me drive for six months. But anyway, I think, and it was about that point when they said that I could drive again, that I then kind of returned to work pretty much full-time work. I've always been really flexible with me because I do. Even today, I get exhausted compared to, I suppose, how I was. 
Yeah, uh, I, was gonna, I was gonna talk about that. How was the post-stroke fatigue? Yeah, that's that's the hardest, hardest thing. Mm. Um, and I don't think anyone will ever understand that. Um because it's it's not like normal fatigue you would get from working long hours or you know doing something physically. It's it's a different type of fatigue. Yeah, it's it's just absolute exhaustion where you can do nothing more than now, especially with the boys now. So, so, so since my stroke, we've had a second son who's now two. So Flynn, and even with them there, it's like some days you're just trying to convince them that the right thing to do is just sit on the sofa and watch a movie, you know, which isn't easy with a five-year-old and a two-year-old. They, Definitely not. They, yeah, they are quite active. And so some days it needs to be to my wife, I'm sorry, but I've got to go and lie down. And some days it's tough that you think I, all the energy I have today, I've given to my job and my employer, and I don't have the energy now to give to my kids. To, and it's that, that, that's tough. That's tough. Have you found anything helps with the fatigue? Or do you basically have to plan your day in advance and look at how much energy things take? I definitely don't plan for the fatigue and I find with mine, it's almost like I kind of, I'm not going to say forget about it, but it just hits me. And I'm quite lucky. My fatigue isn't every day, but it's just when I go to those, I put take myself to the point of absolute exhaustion. And I think I fight it and fight it until I do hit that point where I've got nothing other than to go and fall asleep for an hour or two hours. Or Yeah. 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 Do you find when you get, to that point that your emotions get a bit harder to regulate yeah yeah it is it's difficult so since my stroke i've got myself involved with a few industry related initiatives that i'll talk about later i think it is you do find that you get quite emotional actually sort of talking about your stroke and it's something that i think you'll never kind of get over and it's quite difficult sometimes when you're publicly talking about it and your emotions get the better of you i also find i've lost all patience and i'm not very tolerant i can get very impatient now which is tough i don't want to do that especially your kids or your family and yeah getting impatient getting frustrated quite easily which is which is tough yeah, I, I find I have a zero bullshit tolerance. If someone, you know, starts it around me, I just don't have literally have time for it or the yeah. energy. Yeah. I so did it affect your mental health at all afterwards? Because um, I always call having a stroke like a factory reset and you have to learn a lot of things you've already knew how to do again. Yeah. Like emotional regulation and, and filters. I, I think it did. I think it, it kind of... The biggest thing I found is it's taken a lot of your confidence away. Yeah. And that's confidence in a lot of things. I don't know if you like, I remember when I came back to work, you know, just things like this sounds really stupid, but Ham's getting an elevator and the door closed. And you think, if this thing broke down now and I had a stroke, what would happen? You know, and your mind just plays all sorts of tricks on you. I'll never forget. The first time I had to go away, I had to go to a conference for work. So it's my first time getting an airplane. I was only flying from Auckland to Christchurch. But so, um, how long after the stroke was that? Oh, it was like months or years. But so no, not not years, but months. Probably about eleven. I think it was the October of 
I'm pretty sure. Right. October or November, so, so almost a year post-stroke. Yeah, going, getting on a, an airplane to go and, and, you know, spend the night alone in a hotel. And honestly, I I got to the airport fine. I had to pick up one of my colleagues in the morning and we drove to the airport. But actually being in the airport, yeah, just the, the, the you know, this my mind started working overtime of, oh, what happens if you stroke in the middle of the air or what's going to happen? Well, then I started, oh, hang on, I'm going to be in a hotel room all alone at night, you know, if I fall asleep. and. So I've got two questions here. Firstly, yes. the fear of having another stroke, is that prevalent for you? Daily, daily thing. Yeah, yeah. Daily. I can relate to that. And secondly, I travelled this year to Australia and I found that my senses were flooded, like yeah. completely overloaded. Did, did you find that with all the people? I think I did. I've been, I have been around a lot of people quite a bit, which is, which, yeah, I, I, I get what you mean with that. It's an interesting dynamic i think for me it is more just about it just in any situation it doesn't matter what it is it's people going to be about they'll know what's happening to you will you be able to communicate with people what's happening to you and i'm it's actually going to be better now my eldest son's getting a bit old like i've taught him how to use my phone and call his mum but for really for the last almost three years i have not wanted to be left alone with my children i can understand that happening to me and not in that scenario not that i'm worried something will happen to me i'm worried about what would happen to the kids you know like my eldest now he goes to off to a little rugby tot sing on a saturday morning and i take him we drive there go in and drive and you feel almost like you need to say to the people when you get there oh by the way you know this has happened to me or you know yeah it's really strange like it's almost like you need to tell everyone yeah, I found that every little strange feeling or ache or little headache, I immediately jump from that to, oh my God, I'm having another stroke. And I've come to looking at it as if, okay, I never had the stroke in the first place. If I still had this same feeling, having never had a stroke, what I think is a stroke? No. So why am I doing it now? I remember my very first day back at work. I was supposed to be there for three or four hours and after about an hour or so I went to the toilet phoned my wife in an absolute panic and told her to come and get me and she had to come and get me on the first day because yeah. I was just just convinced myself and I think I made her come and get me and she took me to my local GP and they just told me everything's fine you're right you know yeah I, I completely relate to to that every little twinge every headache you know every time you stand up too quickly and get dizzy do what you've probably done a hundred times in life you know just prick your neck or sleep funny on your neck or yeah in a sonic wake up with sleep in your eyes and you know yes your eye went open and you're oh my god it's yeah yeah the other thing i found was some of the medications that i'm on now had initial side effects like dizziness or headedness vertigo and so while that was happening, I was in this state of panic for the whole time it was it was going until I got used to it because I, I thought I was having another stroke. And I don't know how many times I went to the doctors and all it was was just the side effects of the medications as my body was being used to them. But yeah, it's always there, that little dark monster of another stroke. One of my drugs is Avastatin. And I remember talking to someone about how I just 
I'm tired all the time. I ache and ache and ache. And actually, there's been quite a bit of research into the side effects of those. And I, yes. and I have spoken to the doctor about it. And yeah, it is, unfortunately, those statins, it is one of the, the side effects of them. Yep, uh, I'm on that too. And the same thing. Yeah. The, the mental health they probably are the real sort of dark times when you really kind of put yourself in a position where yeah yeah you, i think there's definitely been some really sort of dark times mentally where you, you know, question will your life ever get back to normal again will you ever be able to live your life again will you yes um, yes yeah and I, I hear think that's, I think I've even probably had those stupid times where you say, oh, I wish it had just finished me up, you know. But that's not how I genuinely think, especially having two little boys, you know, they're my whole world. So but sometimes yep. when you're when you're in that place and you're just absolutely exhausted or yeah, you're just an emotional wreck and unfortunately that's as far as your mind can kind of go for you. Yep. I, I think that people listening to this who've had a stroke and who are feeling have felt the same thing will will take comfort knowing that they are not the only ones. And this is a normal part of stroke recovery because your brain is totally overwhelmed with learning all the things that you used to take for granted. It's normal for you to get depressed and scared and all those feelings. You just have to put them in context. And it, you're completely right. You know, people too. I remember someone I can't well, someone said to me once, oh, you, your stroke recovery, you know, two years post stroke, that's where you'll be forever. And that may be true, but I think you do need to mentally recover from it, you know, and you do need to test yourself. You need to do all those little things day by day in life. Really. Quite funny. At the weekend, I was with a friend and that's a friend about, I mean, we've always spoke about going off on going tramping or, you know, doing a walk or doing something in Arwood. And he lives in Raglan and he said, I found this, I really want to go and do it. And there's a hut there and it's five or six hours up there or whatever. I'm staying in the hut tonight. And, and to me, I definitely want to do it. It's the mental challenge of will I be able to do it? So anyway, so the weekend is coming He's got this emergency bacon thing there. I suppose those little things that give you that bit of extra confidence or just the the comfort blankets in life but all right i'm gonna go and try this i want to go out i want to be able to go on a go on a hike and go and do do a walk and yeah i want to be able to do this so yeah let's give it a try do you find or do you find that you're still making progress in your in your recovery or there's not much left to recover well i think so on one hand i think Notably, from where I was, everything has got a lot better. But I also do kind of think that statement was quite true, that where you're at in two years, as far as the sensations in my my hand and my arm go, as far as things like the headaches go, I think that was quite a true statement. Physically, where I'm at now, so I'm three years a survivor this year. Yeah. Yeah. And and I do kind of agree with that, that statement that I think, over the the first 12 months to 12, probably 18 months, I did see a really significant progression in my improvement. But then from about that 18-month period, you know, things like this sensation, things like those real killer days of the fatigue, things like the headache, they've probably just slowed down, if you know what I mean, if not stopped in any any further progression. 
But yeah, I think that the the mental aspect of it definitely, you know, like the example of having to go away for for work. I think that's a good one. You know, you you kind of do it once. And then, as I say, that first time, it was more or less, if anyone stood in that queue waiting to board that plane, knew what I was going through internally to put myself on that plane and to sit there whilst that plane was taking off and to not want to scream, stop the plane and let me off. That versus then the second time, I had to, well, I mean, the second time I had to get on a plane was to fly home. And actually, then I think it was a lot more. You've done this once, you're fine, just go home. But then the, the second time I had to go away on a trip, I remember, okay. And I think it gradually gets better to the point I'd probably say now if I got told, oh, you've got to go to Christchurch for the night, I probably wouldn't even think twice about it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely, I think that, that comment that was made to me that where you're at now, where you're at after two years is pretty much definitely from a physical sensation perspective. I think that that's probably for me anyway, is it was probably quite a true statement. I'm at my two years this coming weekend, actually, and I'm still finding I'm making really significant progress with my right hand. I had no movement. I had nothing in my left right arm. And now I'm able to use it, you know, for everything and my hands getting stronger. So I'm, I'm still feeling like my progress is progressing. Yeah. But I, th- I think because every stroke's unique, I think every recovery is unique as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I do. I think there's a, not a one size fits all for everyone. So tell us about the projects you're involved with around stroke. So that's Health 15. So that's very interesting. And it's that's probably given me a bit of bit of passion to, to actually give back. And so it was through one of our, our guys in who works for the same company as me based in Wellington. They actually are personal friends with Joe from, from the Stroke Foundation. And it was around a time that she was actually taking on the role of of CEO. And she was having this conversation with with a colleague of mine down in Wellington. They said, you know, oh, look. There's the they call it the the strokes in army that's that's kind of coming New Zealand's way and how there's so many guys and a lot of kind of young yes young, the, the number young of young survivors is increasing yeah and that they call it the sort of snipers alley you know because they've got the underlying health issues that young people generally don't go for checkups generally don't have their blood pressure taken generally you know don't look after themselves, watch what they, especially in industries like construction. And so this conversation kind of progressed. And so I'd be really good if we could get get into get into the construction industry and actually get straight foundation, have these vans that are set up, these calibrated blood pressure monitors. And, you know, they did sort of small consultation. In, and it was the conversation when it'd be really good if we could get something set up. And that obviously came back to to my manager here and he said well you should talk to jamie james a stroke survivor and and from that yeah we set up a bit of a working group and did health 15 and and did you yeah, call it health 15 yeah. because it takes 15 minutes to do this yeah basically that's pretty much yep yeah. so we came <laughs> we came up with the name health 15 so what what we realized was we would never get any buy-in from construction companies if we said well we want to come to your building site and we're going to shut the whole thing down for hours and hours 
So what we generally say is, you know, it, it's it's an absolute max. But on, on your sort of average site, you know, as long as you don't have miles to walk to every part of the van or whatever, but on your average site, you can be hammering nails into a wall, stop, go down, have your appointment, and be back to hammering nails in the wall within 15 minutes, basically, is, is how we kind of describe it. And then we just go out and it's just a free um, free blood pressure screening. We do a bit of pre-consultation. So we work with the construction company, especially with the site guys, to get it really promoted and get some buy-in of, of what it is and the benefits of it. We're also aware in the construction industry, there's a lot of people. Immigration processes at the moment that might be quite nervous about, oh, well, hang on, if you find out I've got health concerns and I'm, it might impact my immigration application or, or my visa application. So we, we've kind of yeah, really promoted how it's a, it's a non-judgmental, completely confidential service. And then obviously we promote some follow-ups, so people with either high blood pressure or, you know, that are in those higher ranges, we give them vouchers to go off to, to a pharmacy and get follow-up blood pressure test done. And then the people that are in those hypertensive states that we actually then arrange them to go and visit a doctor and, and actually have a, a full kind of, if they want to, again, it's completely optional, yep. but we can advise them. And yes, I think we've tested close to 500, if not just over 500 people so far. And how long has it been going for? We originally piloted the scheme probably about 12 months ago. I think it was close to the end of November, if not early December last year. We piloted the scheme. And then we've, yeah, so since then, I think we've tested about five or 600 people, I think. And and to date, I think we've found about six people in, in hypersensitive crisis. And one of those people actually is about, I think they're, they're working with him at the moment. And he's telling the story of how he, you know, went through the van got taken straight to a doctor's and they found some other underlying health issues and, and really it's it's kind of made a big difference to his life so he's actually telling his story now wow to the guy so yeah yeah i think it's and it's good did the building um company pay for this yeah so it's unfortunately yeah yeah it is funded by by industry it'd be ideal if the the government would fund it we're at the moment talking to lots of different government departments that have large building programs happening to see if they will fund it for their sites and there's another large entity that's got a lot of construction work planned with potentially thousands of people going to that facility to do construction work over the next few years so i think we're you know sort of talking and engaging with them now to say hey look can we come to your sites and that will they fund it rather than trying to get the construction companies to fund it but but really we've had some great engagement with the industry and we've had some great buy-in from companies so yeah it sounds like that, it. yeah and now we're starting to talk to some other people like the cancer society about not just doing stroke awareness but you know doing like a, a pre-summer initiative it's a bit like so like sun smart looking at skin cancer and different things. So it's not just a line with the stroke. It'll be a lot of NGOs getting together and just raising general awareness of, of some of those things that, that impact our industry and people working in our industry. So it's, yeah. Sounds it's like a fantastic initiative. I mean, it's it's really, you know, 500 people and, and finding people that, have, that are, you know, needing help straight away and, and being able to help them. I think that's wonderful. 
made a big difference. Yeah. And I think it's opened the eyes to the people who are actually, you know, responsible for these construction sites and running these construction sites. That well, it's good for their business as well if, if they've got healthy staff. Yeah, but, and, and I suppose it's for them to realise the risks involved with the people that are working on their sites and the potential risks. It's, yeah, it's been quite good. Well, it has been great talking to you. I would like to follow up to help teachers because mm-hmm. I know the high pressure situation and I'd love to do something similar to what, yeah. what you've got. No, definitely. No, that's, that's well, fine. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much Thanks, for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Thanks.